0: Thank you. Today's reading is Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kings Quest students, first and fourth grade, you, you need to head to the lobby and find your teachers. The rest may be seated.
1: Thank you. <clears throat> well, good morning, Grace. Long Beach. It is always a pleasure to be here with you guys, and especially this morning as I have the opportunity to share with you from God's Word in our series on the missional identity of God's people from the not controversial discussion at all about justice in the United States in 2022. So, super easy. I'm sure no one will be offended. Thank you, thank you for laughing. Um, yeah, it's not a—it's not an easy conversation. Um, if you have ever seen the news in the last few years, or have any pulse on some of the conversations nationally going on in the church, um, this this can be a, a tricky one. And so, as we've been trying to do here, uh, here's the approach: I want to upset everyone. Um, I, I don't think the best posture is to try to hide from hard conversations, because Jesus never does that, the Bible never does that, and as leaders here, what we would like to do is help everyone think biblically, like live out their faith in this real world, in this time and place in which God has sent us on mission. That's the purpose of this series, to remind us of our identity, of who we are. God gives us a missional identity. He calls us to embody the gospel, show and tell what Jesus and his kingdom are like. One of the ways that we have an opportunity to do this is to think biblically about justice. So. I wanna talk to two different groups of people right now. First, if you just heard your pastor say the word justice and your body got tight, I invite you to take a deep breath, okay? It's gonna be okay, I promise. For some of us, what's happened is justice has become a code word for a liberal progressive agenda, okay? Long before the Democratic Party came to be the Democratic Party of today, God in his wisdom, through his word, formed his people to be a people of justice. All right? Okay. Now there's other people in the room who heard that their pastor's going to talk about justice, and they're like, yes, bring it, bring the hammer, you nailed it, you know what those people have thought, you know what they've said. Okay, if that's you, tone it down. Okay? I've been called all the, the social justice warrior, right? Like I, I've been called all the things. We need to tone it down. God is a God of justice. We're going to talk about that today. God is not only a God of justice. Does God care deeply about justice? Yes. Is that the only thing God cares about? No. Take a deep breath also, all right? So, it's not what they teach you in like sermon school, like just right off the bat, offend everyone, but that was the choice that I made today. (laughs) So, hopefully it's not offensive, hopefully it's an invitation in, and disarming or turning down the volume of the conversation a little bit, all right? I promise I have no agenda other than communicating how I feel Jesus has led me in my sermon prep for you guys here at Grace today. I wanna be faithful. I wanna be faithful in this. I'm gonna ask you guys for a little grace here. In some of the language, you may hear words or phrases that may feel scary, all right? Can you please trust that I'm not trying to change how anyone votes, I'm not trying to brainwash anyone, I'm not trying to do any conspiracy theory thing, all right? For others, Again, you want me to go harder. And I understand why. I understand how, in a church that's similar to ours, some of these conversations may not have happened um, historically, and there was injustice that was perpetuated because of that. Here's the reality as a pastor, we are called to lead the people God has given us. I do not believe that as a pastor, my role should be to shy away from sin and not call out sin in the body of Christ, nor do I believe that my role should be to beat the body of Christ, okay? The goal is a stretch for all of us. We're gonna talk about this at the end, a stretch. A healthy stretch is a challenge. An unhealthy stretch tears muscle. We don't want that. Does that make sense? Okay, so with all these caveats, let's pray, and then we're going to see what the Word of God has for us today. Uh, Jesus, we thank you that you are here with us right now. We thank you that you um, inspired the authors of Scripture with your spirit to communicate in a way that would form your people throughout the ages. And part of the ways that we're formed is when you affirm good gifts that you've given us within us. And other ways that we're formed is when you challenge us. So we invite you to encourage and to challenge. Jesus, not so that we can have a a sermon about a buzzworthy topic, but because we desire obedience. We desire to faithfully understand and embody your word. Because how you have chosen to bring about salvation is through your broken, flawed people. And so Jesus, would you use this time, would you use your word to form us into a more accurate reflection of who you are? Would you be with us? Would you guide us? Would you guide us? Would you encourage us? Would you be gentle with us and challenge us and convict us? And Jesus, would you bless us so that we can bless other people? We pray these things in your name. Amen. I don't know where to put this in the sermon, but we have an opportunity to embody justice, like this morning. And if God is stirring you as you hear these words, specifically to share with somebody who needs a little help, would you come see me after the sermon? That's all I'm going to say about that. So justice, here's the deal. Um, I take it a little personally because for me, part of my story was um, walking away from Jesus in Bible college, which I get is not a good commercial for that Bible college, Uh, but then actually coming back to faith through these conversations about justice. I was I was on a service trip to Ecuador not walking with Jesus at all, like spiritually had no business on this trip, but began to hear things that challenged me and made sense to me. Because one of the difficulties I was having in my faith is I learned a very individualized faith. It's just me in my quiet time in Jesus who's like abstractly away in the clouds somewhere. but during this time, I was working for the YMCA in Oakland, California, in a preschool classroom where every child I was teaching had a family member who was murdered. How was this disembodied gospel good news in this context? I couldn't make sense of it. But I started to hear things about how God is a God of justice, that God cares not only about our future eternity, which he does care about, but he also cares and is present and active in our current circumstances and situations. That because God is a God of justice, he wants to see justice roll down like mighty waters, right? Amos, that famous line that MLK stole from the Bible. God cares about the here and now. This is personal because um, I'm very familiar with a church in Arizona who tried to talk about justice in 2020, and the response was a massive church split, like more than 1,000 people left, like operating budget got cut by over a million dollars. I had conversations with the pastors and what they were wrestling through. The conversations like, I see this in scripture, I'm trying to communicate it, some people are mad that I'm talking about it at all, other people are mad that I'm not talking about it fiery enough, and it seems like there's no right thing to do. There's a deep biblical conviction because we can point to any of the over 2,000 Bible verses that reference justice or talk about the embodiment of justice. But there's this cultural barrier because people hear through their lenses. I know pastors who no longer serve in ministry at all, vocational ministry, because of this conversation. You all probably know somebody who does not attend a church because of how leadership handled this conversation. Maybe this church. Probably in a room this size We know somebody who would say they no longer walk with Jesus because of this. This feels daunting to talk about now. But here's the reality. The word of God is a sword. So while we build walls that divide, the word of God cuts those down. Here's the reality. For some of us on the left and right, our hearts are so hardened around this topic, we have to trust that, like the psalmist says, the word of God is like a mighty hammer that smashes stones to pieces. The hardness of our hearts is an easy task compared to the word of God. God will communicate. We can enter this conversation with grace and hope, okay? We're going to look at three truths about who God is in relation to justice, and then I'm going to give you three things to think about and do. Fair enough? All right, open up your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 4. If you have the Pew Bible, that's the one way, way, way underneath your seat, we're going to start on page 3. And this is a story, if you've been around church, you're probably familiar with it. If not, you may even recognize it. This is the story of Cain and Abel. So God created everything good. God created Adam and Eve and said they were very good. They were in the garden. God said, you can eat from any tree. There's just one that you cannot eat from because if you do, you will surely die. And what do they do? Just like my kids, just like me, the one thing we're not supposed to do. We're like, yep, let's try that apple. And so they do, and so we've talked about the consequences of sin, what's happened, and so they're sent out of the garden, and and now we see this little family starting to grow, and there's two brothers, and if you have siblings, or you have more than one child, you know what two brothers do. They get in a fight, and try to kill each Well, one actually does kill the other. So, let's pick up. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Sounds like my house. The Lord said, what you have, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. We see in this passage that God, from the very beginning, as soon as we see sin enter in, God is a God of individual justice. God cares that one individual killed another individual. That's not the way it should be. That's not the way God intended God is God of life and flourishing, in a word that we love around here, shalom, universal human flourishing in the way things ought to be. Death is not the way things ought to be. Murder is not the way things ought to be. So as sin is introduced into God's good creation, suddenly now we have this concept of justice, of making right that which is wrong. God cares about the justice between individuals. We see this throughout Scripture. We see this in in the law, right? Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't murder. There's all of these laws that dictate how we are to interact with one another. God is a God of individual justice. If an individual chooses to sin, the wages of sin is death. In our culture, if an individual breaks the law, there are consequences. We cannot just do what we think is best, right? If you read the book of Judges, the continuous reframe is, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and as you read that book, you realize it goes really, really poorly. God cares about how individuals treat one another. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for individuals. For you and you and you and you and me and you and you and you and you, right? A bunch of individuals. So his people are called to live out this individual justice with one another. Then the question becomes how do we do that? Well, an image that came to mind as I was dropping off um, Micah and Will <clears throat> is the image of the crossing guard. It is safest to have somebody step out, stop traffic, make eye contact with the other drivers to make sure that kids can cross the street safely. It is not practical to place crossing guards on every single single corner in every city, in every state, in every nation. So what do we do? We create a system or a structure of justice. We don't want kids to be run over by cars. That's bad, right? We can all agree on that. Right? Okay, thank you. Come on, I got nervous there, Grace. Like, we don't want kids to be run over by cars, so we create crosswalks. We create the, little, the green man, right? The red hand, the button. We create structures to try to help things go the way they ought to go. Does that always work? No. But for the most part, it helps. So we see as humanity grows and flourishes and cultures grow and flourish, we figure out ways to create systems and structures for communities to flourish. Now, if you're sensing that I'm talking about systemic justice and systemic injustice, you're right. If that's making you feel nervous, hang in there with me, okay? Hang in there with me. We're going to flip again to Isaiah chapter 58, a familiar passage if you've been around at least grace. Uh, I had a friend from Phoenix who came and preached on this back in the spring. Think about the individual and communal as I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 58. In your pew Bibles, it's going to be on page 618, 618, 618. I'm going to pick up Isaiah 58 in verse 5. The Lord is saying this to his people through the prophet Isaiah. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Notice he's asking, is it only this? That doesn't imply that humility is bad, but it's more than individual humility. That doesn't imply that bowing one's head like a reed and laying on sackcloth and and ashes, which is a sign of repentance and lament, that's not bad. But God isn't only calling his people to that. That doesn't mean we get rid of those things, but there's more to it. There's more to this fast, this day of the Lord, that the Lord will find acceptable. Verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loosen the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him? And not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. And your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noon day. Now, we can do that on an individual level, and we should because there are individual poor people, individuals in poverty, individuals who don't have as much as others. And we can do with this on a communal level. God means both things. God is also a God of communal justice. We see throughout the law that God gives, God is trying to form his people to act justly, towards entire groups of people. Does that make sense? God talks about how his people treat the poor in in other groups with the purpose, we're going to talk about this next week, of being a light to the nations, entire groups of people. God cares about communal justice and expects his people to also and commands his people to also. So they set up systems of justice, accurate weights and measures in the marketplace so that people were not exploited, right? A pound equals a pound. It's universal. They didn't use pounds back then, but for us, a pound equals a pound. And so when people are coming to the marketplace to know how much weight of goods they should be charged for, there's a recognized system. What some people would do would not would be to not use accurate weights so that others were exploited. So they were being taken advantage of for the benefit of uh, the business owner, right? There was exploitation going on because the system of justice was not acting justly. So there was a system of injustice or systemic injustice. One of the examples I always point to is Pharaoh in Egypt established a system to kill the children of God's people, the Hebrew babies. There was a system of injustice or systemic injustice there. One of the ways God brought freedom was to liberate individuals. Another way God brought freedom was to break those systems of injustice. Both of these are biblical. Both of these matter. When people talk about Jesus flipping over the tables in the temple, that is, he is embodying a truth about the injustice of the sacrificial system and what was going on there. Jesus is is dramatizing God's reaction against systems of injustice which exploit and oppress people in in, in poverty who don't have power or authority or, or benefit in a certain culture, So does God care about the individual? Yes. Does God care about the communal? Yes. Are they at war with each other? No. Can we as God's people care about individual justice and systemic justice? Yes. Now what's interesting here, just to name the elephant in the room, there's a quote from a missiologist named Leslie Newbegin that I love. He says, the gospel affirms and critiques Every culture. If we're talking about political cultures, typically our brothers and sisters on the right get the individual justice very well. The gospel affirms that. Typically, our brothers and sisters on the left get the communal or the systemic justice very well. The gospel affirms that. Both sides struggle in acknowledging how the gospel affirms the other side, and the gospel critiques aspects of both platforms, okay? So hopefully at this point, everyone's been offended and everyone's been affirmed. (laughs) God is a God of individual justice. God is a God of communal justice. It's okay for us to be about those things also. Let's keep going. I don't know about you, but this one is the one that is actually most challenging for me. We're gonna flip to Matthew chapter 25, Uh, in your Pew Bibles, this is going to be on page 831, Matthew 25, picking up in verse 34. Ah, you know what? We're in church. I'm going to read more than I have on the slide. I'm going to start in verse 31, and I'm going to read through verse 40. Most of that will be up on the screen. Matthew 25. <clears throat> Jesus says this, when the son of man, referring to himself, when Jesus comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. This is like end of days, where the world is headed. Jesus has given us a snapshot of what that's going to look like. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. He's not separating them. It's all nations. He's not separating them by nations. He's going to tell us what's the criteria for the separation. Verse 34, then the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Individually, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Collectively, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. god is also not only a God of the individual, not only a God of the communal, but there is a sense that God is a God of justice for the vulnerable. Okay. I'm going to tell you how I got there biblically. I'm not the only one. There's a a theological concept or a theme throughout the Old Testament. Um, Some authors identify it as the trio of the vulnerable or the quartet of the vulnerable. What they would identify as the vulnerable that are referenced over and over and over throughout the Old Testament, throughout the law, throughout the prophets, throughout the wisdom literature, um, is, is the, the, the widow, the orphan, and the sojourner, the, the traveler, the immigrant, okay? Other scholars would include for the quartet, not the trio, the poor, those four groups of people, okay? This is unique in Israel's law. There are laws that benefit these people written into the commandments that God gave his people. So every other nation has laws that benefit its own citizens. This is not like judgment. This is just how our constitution was written. We had laws and rights that would benefit white males who owned land if you're a white male who owns land that doesn't mean you need to get your feelings hurt right now i am a white male who owns land and we can say that it's okay there weren't rights given to people who did not reside or have citizenship within our country and no country has that other than old testament israel God told Old Testament Israel, set aside from your harvest for the poor, for the widow, think of the story of Ruth, for the orphan, for the immigrant, so that they could collect and have food. We see this throughout. this, This is, if you remember, back to our Isaiah 58. These groups are mentioned. Jesus in this parable giving a snapshot of coming judgment is identifying these vulnerable people, these vulnerable people groups. And Jesus says, whatever you have done for them, you have done for me. He somehow identifies himself in a unique way with the vulnerable. So some frequently asked questions to save the Monday morning emails. Does this mean God hates rich people? No. It's not what the text says. Abraham was rich. David, a man after God's own heart, was rich. He was the king. Solomon was rich. Joseph of Arimathea had enough wealth to give Jesus a tomb. If you've ever paid for a funeral, even in our day, you know how expensive that is. Joseph was, of Arimathea was wealthy enough to just give it to Jesus. Lydia was a successful businesswoman who helped finance the early church. Paul tells Timothy that money is a root of all evil, not the root of all evil. In Genesis 12, we have this concept that we've talked about over and over. We are blessed to be a blessing. That includes our finances, Does that mean that you are in sin if you have amassed wealth? No. One time, Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell everything he had. Jesus didn't say that to everyone. Jesus said that to one person one time. Could that apply to you? Yes. Does that mean everyone has to do it? No. Okay, so we can take a deep breath. God doesn't hate rich people. Don't worry, all right? He does say that we're held accountable for the stewardship of what we have, but that's a a different conversation. We are blessed to be a blessing, so how are you using wealth to bless others? Other frequently asked questions. Is this works-based salvation? Only how I treat the poor determines whether I go to heaven or not. No, this is a story in scripture. This is one passage in scripture. Scripture is not in competition with itself. When we read the Scripture as a whole, we see that it is by grace we have saved. We are saved through faith in Jesus, not something that we can do. We cannot boast. This is only the free gift of God. That's how we are saved. And when we are saved and filled with the Spirit, our lives change. If there is no fruit then we need to ask the hard questions of where is the spirit? If I am not full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, come on, Sunday school, you guys know these things, right? If I'm not full of the fruit of the spirit, then that's evident that the spirit is not at work. So now I need to ask myself hard conversations, hard questions. So we're not earning our salvation by how we interact with the vulnerable. We're displaying it. That's not what gets us saved and an entry, that's not our ticket into the kingdom. That's what the kingdom looks like that we're called to embody on earth as it is in heaven. You guys are smart, you get it. Does this mean every poor person automatically goes to heaven? No, it's by faith in Jesus. Proverbs talks a lot about the oppression of the poor. You know what Proverbs always also talks about? Stop sleeping. Go to work, don't be lazy, there is individual responsibility, and there are systems that make it more difficult for some people. You guys see I'm I'm challenging and encouraging both sides here, because the Bible does that, not because I'm smart, not because I have like good strategy, this is what the Word of God says. So what do we do with this? I love the the justice sermons, right? I'm like, yeah. One of the things that I don't like about the justice sermons is typically what the preacher does is like, you got to care about justice. And everyone's like, yeah, we got to care about justice. All right, amen. (laughs) And then if you're like me, you're like, wait, 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 how? how? How do I do this? Okay, I look at these big national issues that have gone on since before our country was a country, and it feels so overwhelming. I don't know what to do. What do we do? Okay, three suggestions. The so what. I think that's the important question. So what? This is what the Bible says, Old Testament, New Testament, this is what the coming kingdom's like, starts, finish, God cares about justice for the individual, for the communal, and for the vulnerable. So what? Here's the first one. I encourage you to be stretched. Read someone different. When you go home, and you think about all the ways you're being formed to think biblically, you look at your bookshelf, you look at your podcasts, find someone different. If you primarily listen to men, find a female author. If you primarily, primarily listen to white people, listen to somebody different. If most of the people you listen to are dead, find someone who's alive. <laughs> Diversify your library. Now. If you're somebody who, who um, mainly consumes very conservative theology, don't jump to the most liberal, like liberation theology that you can find. Don't do that. You're gonna be upset. That's gonna tear a muscle. Don't do that. Stretch. There are well-trusted and respected conservative evangelical authors who are writing about this from a very deeply biblical worldview. If you need help with resources, I would love to help you, okay? If you're someone who's only reading the like super progressive liberation theology, stretch yourself the other way. It works both ways here, stretch. For some of us, our libraries are super diverse. Well done, what's your living room look like? Jesus doesn't say what you read about the least of these you did for me. What you think about the least of these, you did for me. Jesus says, what you did for the least of these, you did for me. Okay, fellow social justice warriors, we love to rah-rah, post on Facebook. We may even go downtown and march when something happens. What does your living room look like? Who are you sharing meals with? Is this only abstract, or do you have faces that you connect to these issues? How are you loving them and serving them and sharing Jesus with them? I'm gonna be bold. There's a liberation theologian who says this. You tell me you love the poor. Fine, what are their names? If we can't connect a face to the issue, we have to ask ourselves how much we actually care. If you have posted 500 things about this, whatever your issue is on social media, but you don't know five people that that issue applies, I would suggest there may be something wrong. Okay, diversify your library, diversify your living room. Here's the next S, so we have so what? First one, stretch, serve. This is the point, get involved. For some people, when we have the justice conversation, they're so nervous that we're gonna like, step on one of the buzzword landmines, right? Oh no, no, no this is social Marxism, this is CRT, this is the liberal agenda. That's, those are fine cautions. There is some wisdom in those cautions. But now, what's the better answer? What's the better thing that we can go do? For others, like I said, we just want to talk about the things. We want to talk about it and think about it and read about it and post about it and blog about it and all watch the videos. What are we doing? So we got to stretch ourselves and we got to actually serve. Now here's the one. Here's the one, guys. Stretch, serve, we got to stay. We got to stay in the conversation and we got to stay at the table. You can think of the people here in this room right now that you passionately disagreed with during 2020 about whatever the topic was. You're trying to look straight ahead right now so you don't make eye contact with them. I know it. That person, that brother and sister, you need them. You need them, believe it or not. If you don't believe it, What you are saying is what Paul warned against, I do not need this part of the body, the eye doesn't need the foot. On both sides, what that means is you think your part of the body is supreme to others. And I'll push hard on this. I need the people in my life who disagree with me because I'm not perfect. I need the people in my life who disagree with the authors I like to read because they're not perfect. Only the word of God is infallible. That's it. Stay. I promise some of you would be challenged in this sermon, don't leave, stay at the table. Some of you right now are like, he should have gone harder, I knew it. I told you that. Stay. (laughs) I warned you. We need to stay at the table. Because there is no concept of justice without Jesus. He cares more than you do. He laid down his life for this, for justice for the individuals, so that you would come to saving faith in him. He laid down his life for justice for the systems and structures so that communities would be freed from oppression. Remember Luke 4? He says, this is what I'm going to do. I've come to free the oppressed from their liberation, from their oppression. I've come to bring liberation. Think of who was at his table. He had Matthew, the tax collector. He had Simon the Zealot. I'm going to do it, Beth. I warned you. Who is Simon the Zealot today? I don't know, whichever of these two examples makes you most upset. Simon the Zealot was Antifa. If that upsets you, that's who Simon the Zealot was. You know who Simon the Zealot was? The guy who raided the Capitol on January 6th. If that upsets you, that's who Simon the Zealot was. Whoever challenges you, because our body is diverse, Jesus didn't just die for one kind of person. Jesus didn't just die so that one day we float away to abstract heaven. Jesus died so that he could be fully reconciling all things, all people. Every tongue, tribe, and nation will come to him in his kingdom. So we stay at the table when it's hard, because that's how he designed this thing. And I don't think we have better ideas than he does. So here's the reality. It's really hard. It's really hard to be stretched. It's really hard to serve. It's really hard to stay. So how do you end this thing? We pray because none of us are smart enough to figure it out. But Jesus is in this work. Jesus is in this moment, in this place, in this church, at work. We saw it in a beautiful way last Sunday. We're seeing it over and over. I happen to be at Wrigley Coffee, and I see here comes a crew from our church doing ABCD interviews. It's happening. I keep saying this, guys, because it's so exciting. The things you've prayed for for years are happening. This is another step. We can have a hard conversation and I don't think anybody left angry. Maybe not yet. But what binds us together is not a sermon. It's not a person. It's not a program. It is Jesus. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna move into our time of communion to remember him. Jesus, thank you for caring about justice more than we do. Thank you for being more passionate than we are. Thank you for caring about preserving good doctrine more than any of us do. Thank you for being more about diversity than any of us think we are. Jesus, we thank you for the people who are different in this body, in this room right now. Jesus, help us if we ever think we don't need our brothers and sisters. Bring us to repentance. You had no business calling me, but you did. You had no business laying down your life for me, but you did. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for that truth. Father, forgive us for our arrogance, for our judgmental hearts, as we critique those around us who think differently. Father, give us big ears to hear one another when they're calling out our blind spots. Help us to respond with curiosity and grace, because none of us get it right all the time. Give us courage to speak to one another, to ask good questions, to operate in grace and truth. Some of us need to be called out. Some of us need to be forgiven. And the reality is we have no hope in this without you. You are the one who is reconciling all things. You are the one who is bringing your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. You are the one who gives us your spirit to empower us for all the good works you have prepared in advance for us to do. So fill us. Fill this space. You are here, and we invite you here. Make us mindful of your presence. Move in ways that surprise us, because we need you. You are the hope of the world. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.